Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, July 27th. Uh, Lauren, welcome back. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Great to have Love you where this here. Where is going? I can't wait to hear. I can't wait to hear you uh, kind of explain what you're getting into. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah. So the last couple of times we've talked about this, we've talked about a specific class of drugs called SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And for the most part, we've said we have to deal with a lot of people that are taking these. There, there are some patterns too. We do tend to see in the beginning, people will say, oh no, this was a lifesaver. I felt so much better. Well, there's a couple things going on there. One, I do think some of it is just placebo, which is fine. I'm okay with the placebo effect. If it works, it works, but that wears off. And then we find over time that they're on these drugs, but they seem to be right back where they were before. They still seem to be really suffering from anxiety and depression. Then the doctor wants to add on another class of drugs. And then I've talked about when you add that second class of drugs to an SSRI, your risk for developing a new disease called tardive dyskinesia goes through the roof. And now you need a third drug to handle the tardive dyskinesia. And how many people have you dealt with that are taking SSRIs, but they're not fixed at all? They're not even close. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people. So it turns out. That's really when I see. There's a. Sorry, that's really when I see people are on like three to five different anti-anxieties or SSRIs, all of these different things. And I'm asking them, well, how long have you been on them? And what was the outcome of the first one you were on? Because I would think that if it wasn't working, then maybe you should stop taking it and try something new instead of just adding them on. Right. (laughs) Well, some of these drugs are designed not to stop the other one. They are actually designed as add-ons. You have to take all of these drugs. The problem is no matter how many they prescribe to people, the people don't get better they still have the anxiety and the depression and don't we find all kinds of other problems in their health that are hard to deal with we have more digestive issues with people like this we there are other things these ssris are destroying health in other areas so they're not fixing the problem they're designed for and they cause other health issues well there's a new study out right now and that study has confirmed SSRIs just don't work. They just don't work. Oh. Guess why? Turns out I don't know. that even don't know if we can manipulate the serotonin level in the brain, which we have a very hard time doing, I'm going to explain why. But even if we can, when we are able to impact the serotonin levels, depression doesn't change. So we might have the whole premise wrong that it isn't serotonin that manages depression. They they just, they don't work. And we've been saying that for a long time. These things don't work. These people aren't getting better. And you keep piling more drugs on them and then they get worse. The other problem with these things, though, is you've seen this. How many times have you recommended to somebody, you may want to stop that uh, SSRI, and they panic. 
oh no, oh no, I, I can't stop this. I, yeah, I have to have this. Yeah, it happens a lot. And sometimes it's because they remember getting that little bit of relief in the beginning, but other times it's because they've tried to quit these before and they're not easy to quit. The withdrawal from these things can be horrendous. Doctors don't tell people that either. They start them on these drugs and never tell them, one, you can't quit cold turkey. You have to wean yourself off these things and and it's not good. There's a lot of really nasty side effects, but the the like I said, they, they just don't work. There's absolute proof now that even if they did what they say they're supposed to do, which they don't, they're, they're supposed to raise the serotonin level in the brain, but they don't. Now we know, though, even if they did, it wouldn't work. It doesn't matter. That's not what's causing the depression. We don't know what's causing the depression. My guess is that it really is gut bacteria. That that really is where we need to be focused on for all of these mental health issues is gut bacteria. So the reason these things don't work, they're called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. We, we have not been able to figure out a way to just raise the serotonin level in the brain by getting the body to create more serotonin. We've never been able to do that. So instead... The way serotonin works is is you have a space in between two nerve endings and we have chemicals that fill in that space to create messages messages across the nerve endings. That's, That's how the nerve endings talk to each other through these chemical messengers, serotonin being one of them. So we, the thought was we need more serotonin to stop the depression and the anxiety. So we'll go with that. We now know that's not correct, but that's what they've been attempting to do all these years. They try to increase serotonin in the brain, get the body to create more. It doesn't work. So the way this works is the, the body releases serotonin into that gap. Then at some point, the body sucks that serotonin back up into the the cells these drugs block that uptake so the body can't reabsorb the serotonin it stays in the gap and the thought is if we can keep more serotonin in the gap you won't be depressed and anxious yeah it doesn't work Uh, for one as soon as you start taking these SSRIs, and maybe this is why you get a little bump in the beginning, at some point, your body, um, Lauren, how many times have, uh, during our training and all the stuff we talk about, do we come across the word homeostasis? Oh, constantly. We're always trying to, uh, to, uh, to assist our body in achieving a harmonious homeostasis state. In all kinds of things, right? Temperature. Look at how closely our body uh, maintains temperature. We, we measure it in tenths of a degree. And our body manages Absolutely. to keep that temperature. We can get really, really hot. We can get really, really cold. And yet our body still works really hard to maintain that precise temperature. Yeah, 
And there are so many aspects of our body that our body works at maintaining the sweet spot. You know, that's that's where we're trying to stay. And it's called homeostasis. The body will always work for that. So when we start changing the brain chemistry by allowing more serotonin to stay in that gap, the body looks at it and says, oh, wait a minute. Why do we have all this extra serotonin all of a sudden? Oh, we can slow down. We don't have to make as much anymore. So you're taking serotonin and your body stops producing as much. So you end up right back where you were, except now you also have to deal with the side effects of the drug. Yeah. And you can actually end up worse because if your body was making serotonin, maybe not exactly as much as it was, but all of a sudden it says, oh, I have plenty. I don't need to make it at all. Yes. Yep. That's that's what happens. So we can end up with lower numbers at some point. And like I said, you're worse off and you're dealing with the side effects of the drug. This is another class of drugs that should probably be eliminated. Seriously. And this is just the, I think this is just the crack in the dam on this class of drugs. I think we're going to start seeing that this whole class of drugs like statins has been a complete failure. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see as more is revealed in the research is, you know, made available for everyone yeah yeah i don't think it'll ever make it to the mainstream because big pharma controls way too much of the advertising dollars we'll never see this kind of stuff uh in mainstream media yeah unfortunately yeah so kind of a a theme today was how do we keep getting so much wrong about health I mean, it's mind-boggling how wrong we have been so many times. And when, when I say wrong, I mean really wrong. Like the exact opposite of what we should be doing is, is what we are doing. Like how do we get some of this stuff so wrong? How do we think that SSRIs are helping when they're actually lowering serotonin levels? And now we find out that it wasn't serotonin to begin with. I, what, a, what a mistake this is. We've screwed up twice. We, we thought one thing caused the problem. We created a drug to fix it. The drug didn't fix the problem. But even if it did, it wouldn't have fixed the ultimate problem. There's one example. Um, how did we get our food pyramid so wrong? Did you see um, the the newest food science they're about to come out with, that grading score system? No. Where did you come across that? Oh, where did I come across this? Let me go find it. Are you at your computer? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. Oh, I just read something. Eric Eric posted this. I was trying to think of this this morning in my open. Um, Dr. Jaquish, the guy who invented the X3 bar, I said his original study and research and, and all of that was um, how to help uh, people elderly. I, I said strength and, and bone health. Uh, his first product was actually called Osteo Strong, and it was designed for senior citizens. Mm-hmm. 
to um, help them build bone density. Um, the X3 bar really, really is good for that as well. Uh, any resistance training is good for building bone density. But he has a product called Osteo Strong, been around for a while. Um, pretty incredible product. Uh, but we were talking about, what was I just going to look up? Oh, the food pyramid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Reading. That's it. Uh, let me find it because I posted this the other day. So, you know, we went from the food pyramid to my plate, uh, which was also a joke. Um, and now they're going to be doing another one. And I was actually, um, I was actually encouraged. I was seeing for a while there that they were going to address sugar. I thought they were going to give us some new, better advice on fats. It, it looks like um, this was going to be finally where we started to maybe turn the corner on the government's nutritional advice, but uh, that didn't happen. And in fact, we should just get the government the hell out of giving nutritional advice because they are definitely going in the wrong direction. Um, I can't find my post, but Sarah posted it as well. Let me see if it's in here. Okay, so here's what they do. Now they're going to give each individual food a score from zero to 100. And there's all kinds of factors that go into it. How much fat is in the food, how much saturated fat is in the food, the nutrient levels. Uh, but here's, here's how it ended up. Oh my God, I looked at this, this scale and I thought this is just insane. So the first couple of foods that scored a hundred, it's not that they're bad for you, but this isn't and shouldn't be the basis of your nutrition. The, the first two foods that I see that scored a hundred, the highest you could score, watermelon and kale. Watermelon and kale. Yeah. You know, when we look at plants and everybody thinks plants are so nutritious and they're really not, that their levels of nutrition are not that high at all when you compare them to animal foods. But I will say of the plant foods, kale does have more nutrients in it than a lot of other foods. It also has a lot of problems in it too, though. You eat too much kale and you're going to know it. Lectins, oxalates, all kinds of stuff in kale that's not good for us. So you don't want to be eating a lot of kale. Um, watermelon, eat all you want. It's probably not going to matter. It's mostly water. There's just not a whole lot of nutrition in watermelon. You're not going to survive on it. So to call it a hundred to me is really deceiving. And, oh, here's the other thing. The scores are also, they, they show them in colors. Um, green is to be encouraged. Yellow is to be moderated. And red is to be minimized. So you want to know the third food on this list that I'm looking at that scored an 87. That'd be a pretty good score, right? 87, zero to 100. Um, frosted mini wheats. Stop it. <laughs> That's not even a food. You're right. How could they even put that as a food? 
you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. That's really? not even a food. Yeah. Um, next. Is that why Dr. Mercola posted something about frosty, mid- frosty whatever it is, um, fruit loops or something like the next big superfood? He, <laughs> he may have. Yeah. Today. Yeah. That's that's. <laughs> so the next one on the list: unsweetened almond milk scores an eighty-six. Um, non-fat, wow. non-fat frozen yogurt scores 80, um, chocolate covered almonds. It doesn't even say dark chocolate covered, just chocolate covered almonds score a 78 orange juice with calcium scores a 78 honey nut Cheerios scores a 76 ground beef gets a score of 26. I can't even believe this. This just doesn't even seem real. Let me give you another example that will, that I almost lost my mind when I read this one looking through the list. So egg substitute. So fake eggs, egg substitute fried in vegetable oil. Egg substitute fried in vegetable oil gets a 62. A whole egg fried in butter gets a 29. Okay, who is making, who, who's, you know, creating this whole, whatever it is, this, the, this, this new is, chart? This is the White House Conference on Nutrition. I just can't even believe it. This is appalling. It's not even real food. I, and I, then they're going I know. Far. <laughs> I just, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It It is just... Oh, just insane, some of the things. Um, cheddar cheese scores a 28. Ice uh, An ice cream cone with nuts gets a 34. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> L- Lucky Charms scored a 60. Lucky Charms. Crazy. Lucky Charms. There's I mean, like people have to know better. Lucky Charms. What the hell are the marshmallow things in there made out of? Come on, like you said, this isn't even food. No, no, it's not considered. Like this is not considered food. I'm just. This is really scary because if someone really does look at this and trust this, they're going to be in a lot of trouble here. Uh, in a very short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, well, look around. We already are, but it's about to get worse. I just can't believe it. They, they are. Wow. They, they still will not give up on the idea that fat is bad for you. And what was your topic going to be today? We are going to talk about fat. Yeah. The importance of fat to the body, getting proper fats through dietary consumption, which fats are safe to cook with, which ones to absolutely avoid at all costs, um, the different roles, you know, how they contribute to, to our health. So, yeah, I'm so happy that you came across this. I can't wait to dive deeper into it and really, I mean, they should be ashamed of themselves. I can't it, believe it's, it. It's almost criminal when we know how 
damaging a diet like this is to your health. We now know this. You know, there was a time where I guess we could say, look, we really screwed up starting in the 1950s and 60s. We screwed up when we started down this road of fat was bad for us. We we can understand why the researchers lied. You know, they but we now know better. We have proven this over and over and over that fat is not bad for you, that you have to eat the right types of fat. But the right types of fat, not only are they not bad for you, they're not neutral either. They are really good for you. We need lots of these fats in our diet that we now know this. So now for them to just ignore the science and keep putting out garbage like this at this point, I think it's criminal. I honestly can't believe like, I don't understand the agenda. How could they put watermelon on the top of the list? That doesn't even make sense. (laughs) I thought at least it was going to be like to push like fake meats and something like that. But that is just, out there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so far, I don't think I've found any of the fake meats. I need to go look through the list, though, and see where those fall. But the fact that frosted mini wheats gets an 87. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Oh, when I was a kid, I loved frosted mini wheats. They are awesome. Except I would never, ever consume another one of them. I can't imagine how much damage I did to my health eating them, and yet the government gives them the score of a superfood. Where the hell's liver? Liver should be a hundred. <laughs> Sardines should be a hundred. Exactly. You know, avocados. If we want to get some plants in here, avocados and coconuts. Let's get those in there. Those should probably be in the seventies or eighties. I don't see any of that stuff on this list. And when you find it, it gets a bad score because both avocados and coconuts have a lot of fat. Wow. It's unbelievable. I really am just absolutely shocked. I can't even believe it. I know. I I mean, I'm I'm wondering who's sitting on this board making these decisions. Like, none of it, none of it makes sense. Yeah. No. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at frosted mini wheat, the ingredient list, and I'm actually, I, I see a gelatin on here, which is very interesting. Um, never once did I think that, um, but no, I'm just, yeah, brown rice syrup. Yeah, it's just whole grain wheat and sugar is what it says. Those are the main ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. Wheat and sugar. Great. Wheat Diabetes. and sugar. It's a one-way track. Wheat and sugar. Yeah, it's a, it's a one-way track to diabetes and some sort of digestive issue. Yeah, definitely. Wow. I, well, I'm very interested. I'm going to definitely dive deeper into that later today because yeah, I hadn't seen that yet. But now that explains Dr. Mercola's I think it was today's email that came in. Yeah, it may be. I uh, The first post I saw, um, it was um, Nina Teicholtz that put it out. Uh, we had her on the show. She was really good. Hmm. Yeah, she's the one that put it out. But uh, 
I just, I, I, I'm just shocked. And I don't know why. I, I don't know why I keep thinking that maybe at some point this is going to change. And like I said, it, it, where we are now, they know this is wrong. There's no more denying this. Right. No, I mean, all the research is there. You just have to go through it and, you know, and read it. That's why I love Chris Kresser because he compiles the data in one, you know, in one area for you, one article, and you can go through it all. It's all out there, guys. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. It's just a matter of finding it. And I understand it. It takes a lot of time and energy to find it. So, you know, if you want to find it, I highly recommend reading some of Chris Kresser's articles on things, just doing a random search on his website because he does the work for you. He goes through it and point and links to every one of the studies. So it's right there. Yeah. It's not anything made up. He didn't, you know, <laughs> it's all there. Yeah. Yeah. And he does a really good job in most of his articles explaining the study to you as well. Because sometimes you can read yeah. these studies and not have a clue what they're trying to say. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's you like know, reading it, a legal contract. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've talked about this. The more research I do, the more testing I do, the more I'm leaning more and more towards um, carnivore. Uh, you know, and, and the funny thing is when we talk about our hunter gatherer ancestors and we talk about vegetables and even fruits, you know, we really have to start thinking about this. Oh, here's the other thing. I, yesterday, somebody actually asked me about the product Balance of Nature. Um, have you ever seen those commercials? No, I haven't. Okay. I don't see many commercials, to be honest. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> balance of Nature. Um, it's basically dehydrated fruits and vegetables in a capsule. That's all it is. Um but they must spend a gazillion dollars on advertising. And the one thing that shocked me when I first went to research this, because somebody asked me about it, was they don't even start with organic produce. I, come on, I was just really? Ask you that. that they was don't, the most important thing. Exactly. <laughs> come on, really? You're not even going to bother starting with organic? <laughs> and now what you're telling me is you're going to concentrate this down? And their big thing is nobody could possibly eat this many fruits and vegetables in a day. Well, then why would I take it in a capsule? <laughs> if I'm not capable of eating it, why would we think it would be a good idea to take that much? So that's the first problem I have. But then what they're telling me is they're concentrating all this down so you can get so many nutrients. Well, if you didn't use organic, I, I actually, somebody called me, they, they have a bunch because they bought a subscription. This is a subscription program. And after like just a month or so, they started getting horrible acid reflux uh, and quit. And as soon as they quit this product, they stopped getting the reflux so he said i have a bunch left over i'll send it to you i i want to go get it tested for glyphosate um oxalates lectins phytates because when you concentrate the nutrients you're also concentrating the anti-nutrients exactly and since you're not using organic you're you're also concentrating all the damn pesticides and insecticides and herbicides and fungicides and all the other crap we put on our conventional wow. vegetables. 
Yes, I tried to explain that to someone the other day. I had a discovery and she was taking, she was ingesting, I should say. Um, doTERRA is like an essential oil oh, company. Oh, yeah. Uh. She's ingesting the, the lemon drops in her water every day as Ooh. to like flavor her water and it's not organic. Is it even food grade? They claim it is. Okay. All right. Because that it's the, safe. That it's, it's safe. Yeah. Essential oils exactly come in, in food grade and non-food grade. We need to at least make sure it's food grade. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the whole essential oil thing other than for the average person, the only thing they should probably be using essential oils for are in misters. They're fine in there. Smell good. Yeah. There's actually some oh, health yeah, benefits. Yeah, go ahead and use it in a in a diffuser. No, in fact, I recommend it. It's good. Get some essential oils. Put it in a diffuser. Don't be eating it. Um, don't be rubbing it on your skin unless you're going to go study essential oils and learn how to make soaps. And you can, but it, it's when you concentrate this stuff. Some of those oils are really potent and can do some pretty serious damage. Oh, yeah, they can burn your skin. Yeah. It's a concentrated oil. Really concentrated. And, I mean, my experience, I'm so sensitive to citrus oil that I've I've been in the islands in the summer and I've squeezed limes to put in things. And I go out in the sun not thinking about it. And I have had insane burn marks on I'll the bet. top of my hands yeah. that blistered Ooh, wow. and everything. And wow. it, yeah, so imagine if yeah. you know if that's yeah, just right. from touching one line peel. Yeah, what it would be like if I touched some essential oil. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not a big fan of the whole essential oil. They've gotten really popular lately. But back to the balance of nature. The reason I brought it up was because I'm talking about you know more carnivore food, less plant food, and in one of their commercials. The guy just keeps going on and on. And he's like, well, nobody can argue against eating more fruits and vegetables. There's never going to be an argument about whether fruits and vegetables are good for us. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, dummy. There already is an argument. We're already telling people that they're not as good for you as we thought at one time. And there are things in there that can cause problems. So I think we have to be more careful about the plant foods we eat. But here's the other thing that I really started to notice. You know, we argue all the time. We, you know, the, the natural health world, the conventional health world, on how many plants our hunter-gatherer ancestors ate? Did they eat more plants or did they eat more animals? And I am of the belief more and more all the time that they only ate plants when there was nothing else to eat. It was an, an emergency food. If there was animal food, they were eating the animals. And one of the things that finally clicked, you know, I've talked about the show alone a lot. And, you know, I watch it because it's just incredible to me. Here's one of the things that dawned on me, too. Um, We talk about trying to live as hunter-gatherers because it would be the healthiest way to live. The interesting thing is Mm -hmm. the people that go on this show, these aren't average people. 
These are professionals at this. This is what most of them do for a living, some sort of either survival training or they've been doing this for years. They live this lifestyle. The interesting thing is, as human beings, even the best of the best can no longer live out in the wild, not alone anyway. They all eventually have, they, nobody can just stay out there forever. We just wait to see who can stay the longest, but everybody eventually fails at this. Isn't that kind of crazy that we, as human beings, we can no longer live in the wild? Yeah. Wow. I guess I haven't really thought about that. But I, that's had, a, I had neither. I had thought. And when I watch these people, I am blown away by the skills they possess, by how much they, hell, I watched a guy, he weaved his own fishing net. I mean, wow. the, some of the skills these people have, I am just blown away. I'm impressed by what they're capable of doing. And yet it's not enough. They still can't live in the wild. But the other thing I noticed, and I started thinking about plant food. When we talk about plant food, when we talk about being vegetarians, we get to go to the grocery store and we get to choose from some pretty amazing vegetables that taste really good and have really good texture. We've, you know, we've taken these varieties and we've hybridized them till we get this, you know, broccoli that we absolutely love. It doesn't have any bitter compounds. It's not all stringy and nasty. That's what we get to eat as if we decide we want to be vegetarians or vegans, we have all kinds of variety of really, really tasty produce, right? Yeah, definitely. It, it, go out in the wild. I mean, bananas. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and what are bananas? <laughs> 39 cents a pound or something? Some stupid number. They're so damn cheap. Um, but... <laughs> You watch this show, and I've talked about it. I grew up in the woods, hunting and running around in the woods. I have never seen a vegetable in the wild. Have you? Have you ever seen a head of broccoli just growing out in the woods somewhere? No. We mentioned this last week, and there's not really. No, aside from, like, fruit trees, um, no, I I haven't. Every time I think about it, and I've... Sometimes you can come across some wild asparagus. I actually have seen wild asparagus and it looks just like regular asparagus. That one almost identical. Wild rhubarb. I've seen rhubarb grow wild. So there are a couple, but not many. And I watch these people when they don't get an animal and they have to go out and and try to gather plant food. First off, going out and gathering takes a lot of energy. They have to walk a long way. They have to search. And when they find something, I'm like, you're going to eat that? What the hell is that? It's moss. And they have to boil it four times and drain it or it's poisonous. I mean, that's that's what they're finding for plant food. And you know what? They're choking it down. You, can, I mean, they're... they're you know how when you're really, really hungry, almost anything starts to look good, right? 
So these people are really, (laughs) really hungry, really hungry. And yet you watch them try to eat some of this plant food and they are barely choking it down. We did not survive on plant food. It just didn't happen. (laughs) Oh, I have to watch this show more. I've only seen a couple episodes. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's all about the animals. Uh, when when they, they are just mm. so happy every time they kill an animal and they are just so I, I don't even know what word they are they just do everything they can to avoid eating the plants that they have to eat none of them are any good wow <laughs> and they have to work so much at them you know, now think about if I have to boil this moss three or four times, how much work do I have to do, do to get enough firewood to do that? Seriously. I, I, ended I mean, th- I'm trying to think. Go ahead. I haven't forged a ton. I mean, honestly, I, I think forging is so cool. Oh, I, I do just, too. Um, yeah. There's just not much I've, I've been able to, to figure out. But I did just get, I think it was last weekend. Yeah, it was last Friday. We went out to the woods and I probably ended up with, I mean, enough to fill a small Ziploc bag of chanterelle mushrooms, which was amazing. Yes. But other than mushrooms, there's not much else that I find other than like fungi because it grows everywhere after a rain. Yeah. I feel like that. Yeah. There are plenty so- of those, but... So let's, so there, that's a good example. Um, now, first off, I, you've had to do some studying before you can go out and gather and eat mushrooms, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah, this is I wouldn't recommend hour. that people go out. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> there are plenty of mushrooms that will kill you. That that's so you you should oh, absolutely. But you're right. That is one of the things that's easier to forage. We can go out in the woods and we can find mushrooms, especially if you go where I live. There's this is mushroom central. Um, but Ooh. let's think about this again. How long did you forage, and how far did you walk to get a Ziploc baggie full of mushrooms? Well, I know where they are. I kind of cheat. They kind they're all in the same little area that's okay but it's (laughs) still there's if there's a good rain i know and it's this warm out it's this hot out i should say i know that there is a pretty good chance that there's going to be a like we have a section um in the woods that's a bunch of oaks and they they grow out of like the the falling oak leaves and stuff like that so i know where to go it's not like i just went to a random place i've never been before i'm sure that would take me a long time but you still had to walk there takes energy you got to yeah. gather takes energy. takes energy and then when you yeah. eat the mushrooms how many mushrooms do you have to eat to feel full so many a lot you think that you gathered a ton <laughs> i know <Yeah>. i know <laughs> but they're all water you go to cook them and you they end up are. with one tenth of what you started with Exactly. <laughs> so if we tried yeah, to... Yeah, I mean, we didn't just eat mushrooms. Exactly. Of course, right. Yeah, and, and the veggies, the other veggies, go try to find those out in the woods. 
Yeah, that's not going to happen. Here's the other thing about vegetables. I put the seed in the ground. I mean, there are some vegetables that take 120 days before they mature. Wow. Yeah. And we can't grow them all year in most places. No. And you're right. In most places, you absolutely can't. Very few places you can grow vegetables. Exactly. Right. So we can't survive on only plant food. It's not possible. Not out in the wild anyway. Unfortunately, now you can do it because of grocery stores, but it's not a good idea. But people think it is. Yeah. We're we're so, so brainwashed into this whole fruit and vegetable thing. Um, When what we should be brainwashed into is animal foods and fats, which is what you're going to talk about. You know, I, yeah, I was just thinking about fats. I'm I'm trying to think of plant sources of fats um, that are really good for us. And I know that the, probably the first one that comes to mind to everyone is avocado. My first one is coconut because there's like so many different stages with coconut. And when you, you know, coconut is one of those things that our ancestors were able to eat the oils of because they don't have to be highly processed to do so. Yeah. Basically just, yep. you know, press it. Yeah. Essentially. Um, but what other, what other, uh, Two, two more you know, I can what think of. Other, what? Let me hear. Olives. Nuts. Olives. That's a good one. That's yeah. a really oh, good one. three then nuts. Yeah. Nuts are another great source nuts. of fat from plants. And here's one that a lot of people forget about or won't even realize. Chocolate. What's that? Oh, oh, I did not think of that at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The cocoa butter. Yeah. Cocoa butter is an awesome fat. Do, they, do you use cocoa butter to cook or anything? Uh, I use cocoa butter to make chocolate. Okay. So, wow. I have All cooked right. with I've it. I've never. It's got a pretty unique I've never flavor. never seen it in the store. Uh, yeah, I actually get my cocoa butter from Bulletproof. Oh. Yeah, really, yeah, really, really clean, clean form of cocoa butter. I, I've used it to cook. It's got a pretty distinct flavor, though. There are a couple things you can cook in cocoa butter savory that, that it's actually pretty good. But mostly what I use it for is just to make chocolate. And how do you make chocolate? So basically, you know, when they process the the chocolate plant the cacao plant they separate the cacao or you know we call it cocoa after it's processed but they separate the cacao from the um, fat and then basically when we make chocolate we put it back together you just you melt the um, cocoa butter and then you put in raw cacao and you get a chocolate bar Huh. Very cool. Yeah. I I definitely have never tried it. I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, kind of interesting. I've I've, I've played around with it a little bit in ice cream. Didn't work so well in ice cream because cocoa butter gets really hard at room temperature. 
Mm. Which is why most chocolate bars can be room temperature on the shelf. Um, but when you make, you know, really good chocolate the right way, it won't hold up to room temperature. Um, not very room temperature. It'll do okay. Anything warmer than that. That's why a lot of companies like our mushroom chocolate and when we used to sell the bulletproof chocolate, they stop shipping in the summertime. You can't get those chocolates yeah. in the summertime because they won't ship them because they'll melt. So is that a saturated fat or a, yeah. a, a monounsaturated? Yeah. Well, saturated. Okay. almost every fat source is going to have multiples, you know, but it's it, which one is exactly. it mostly, but I'm pretty sure cocoa butter is fairly high in saturated fat, not as high as coconut, but I think it's up there. Well, you know, since, since we were talking about this, I'd love to jump into a quick, you know, kind of yeah. explain the classifications of fatty acids and, and how um, there are three main ones. Um, and just like you just said, that they're, they're usually a combination of saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated um, fat. And that's the three that kind of are like the umbrella. Um, so saturated fats are the ones that are solid or semi-solid at room temperature. And they're highly stable, meaning that they don't go rancid easily, which is wonderful because... We know that when a fat goes rancid, it causes all kinds of problems in the body, including most notably is the inflammation that it can cause. Um, so saturated fat does not go rancid easily. Uh, and it is considered a non-essential because the body actually makes saturated fat on its own. If you don't get enough in the diet, you will make enough. <laughs> That's something that a lot of people seem to uh, not, not mention or pay attention to. I think that's important to note. Yes. And saturated fats are usually animal fats or tropical oils, like you mentioned, the coconut oil. You know, things that, if you think about it, you keep it at room temperature, it's going to be more solid than, than liquid. So that's one way to think of a saturated fat. Then the, the middle one is the monounsaturated, which is relatively stable. It does not go rancid easily, but a little bit easier than a saturated fat. And it's liquid at room temperature. But if you put it in the fridge, it's most likely going to turn into a solid. So that's kind of how you can tell the difference. And it's also non-essential because the body can make it as well. And some forms of these monounsaturated fats are olive oil, you know, fats from you know, oils from pecans and cashews and avocado oil. If you put avocado oil in the fridge, if it's a good one, it should solidify, um, but still be liquid at room temperature. And then the other one is the polyunsaturated fat. Relatively unstable fat. They go rancid extremely easily. They're always liquid form. So even, you know, you know, even if you put them in the refrigerator, they're not going to completely solidify. And it's important to mention these because when you first think about it and you think they go rancid easily, oh, maybe we should stay away from them. We absolutely should not stay away from them. So there are two that are essential. And that means that we have to get them through our diet because our bodies cannot make them on their own. 
And those are linoleic acid and alpha linoleic acid, also known or better known as omega fats, fatty omega threes and six fatty acids. That's what they're, we usually talk about them using that term. Those should never be heated, never used for cooking. And some of those examples are going to be a fish oil and nut and seed oil. So I thought it would be a good time just to kind of explain. Yeah. Since we're talking about it, I'll throw in one more. Um, Omega nine. Yeah. We don't talk much about omega nine. Oh, we don't. You're right. Avocados have omega nine though. They do. They yeah. absolutely do. Yeah. And it is another important fatty acid. So I'm happy you brought that up. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Really, I think. Yeah, we don't. I really don't have much to offer in terms of omega nine. But you're absolutely right. It is definitely one that kind of completes it all. But it's not one that, that comes up often. Not yet, at least. I'm, I'm sure there's still some research that needs to be revealed on omega-9 that hasn't been yet. We'll, we'll have to find out. Yeah. But, but I think the biggest takeaway from mentioning that is that, you know, these are all really important fats to get from our diet, um, even if our body makes them on their own. And... Yeah, they can definitely become rancid. Uh, all of them can at a certain point. And the ways I think that fats become rancid are heat, light, and oxygen. So when you see something like a polyunsaturated fat, like a seed oil or a nut oil, and it is sitting in a grocery store shelf, in a clear plastic, you know, bottle, it's already rancid. Actually, it was most likely rancid before it even hit that shelf because the way that they process these seed oils is with high, high heat. And they even use chemicals to extract these oils. So just thought it was important to mention that. Yeah, it, 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 people should just Google that whole process of how they make industrial seed oils, which we call vegetable oils because everybody associates the word vegetable with healthy. Um, there are no vegetable oils. They're seed oils. Uh, and if you would see the process and the chemicals, and it is just nasty. It's so nasty. They're they're so rancid that they actually deodorize them in order for you to be able to stomach it. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine what it would smell like if they didn't deodorize it. And I will tell you that the smell of rancid oils is bad. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Have you experienced that? I, I, yeah, a lot. Um, even with, you know, good, healthy products with healthy oils. And one example um, that I'm really, uh, I guess, kind of sensitive to Siete Foods, their chips, and it's avocado oil. Yeah. It is, if they go past their date, their Best Buy date, I can tell it the minute I open it. As soon as I open the bag, I get the, that whiff of rancid oil, and I just throw them away. Oh, gosh. I'm going to start paying attention to that because 
those are pretty much the only treat that we that we buy in our house same here so i'm gonna i'm gonna really pay attention to that yeah and it it happens on both, <laughs> both the um tortilla chips and the potato chips huh i'm definitely gonna pay attention to that yeah we don't typically i, I don't typically stock up on things like that so the chances of so, us having a bag that's past the state are really really is really rare yeah, and, and I'm gonna check it out. You know, here's the thing: it, it, avocado oil is probably one of the most neutral oils I've ever seen. So there should be no odor. So if I can smell anything, yeah. then that oil's starting to uh, to go rancid. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I lo- I use avocado oil quite often. Oh, me too. I, yeah. I cook with it. I cook with it, but I have to say, even though it's considered a, you know, kind of relatively safe because, so basically we should explain that the safety, you know, we should just go into cooking oils at this point, okay. but you know, the thing, the thing that the key to be aware of for cooking with oils and different fats is to be aware of the smoking point. So it's, you have an oil in a pan and you're about to throw food in it and it's already smoking. That means that it's, 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 it's already gone bad. <laughs> Don't even use it. Throw it out and start fresh and bring the temperature down because that means that you are making it a rancid fat. And then you're going to, you know, die, you know, ingest that and it's going to wreak havoc on your body. So there are different, you know, there are a ton of different, you know, basically, we talked about saturated fat. It doesn't spoil as easily. It can handle higher fat, higher, higher heat. Things that are good for cooking are going to be things like ghee, coconut oils, animal fats like beef, tallow, duck fat. I love duck fat. I duck, use that. <laughs> duck fat probably, is, is my favorite. Oh, man, do I love duck fat. I think that's fat. our most used. Yeah, the uh, other than, um, you know, like the renderings from like making bacon and stuff like that, because I do keep that. Yeah. Yeah. I think duck fat is our most used animal uh, fat in our house because yeah. it just tastes so good. <laughs> it is. Duck fat is so good. Um, you know, the, the traditional way this dish is made is not necessarily healthy, but it's not horrible and you can make it a little, little better. Have you ever had poutine? Is that is that really popular in Canada? It's like the national dish of Canada, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. yes, I have had it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's kind of a, the first time I had heard of it. I was actually in uh, where were we? Oh, we were in Vancouver, BC, uh, the other Vancouver. Lisa and I, and I think we had gone up there just for a vacation. I don't think we were working or doing anything. Yeah, and I remember I picked up a newspaper. Because, you know, who gets a newspaper anymore? Nobody. I used to love reading the newspaper, though. So every now and then, if I'm traveling and I see a newspaper, I'll grab it and I really enjoy reading it. So headline on the newspaper. This is how serious they are about their poutine. Headline on the newspaper was a cheese curd factory had caught fire and they were worried they weren't going to have enough cheese curds for poutine. That was like the headline. Oh my! Yeah, yeah. So it's I love it. You know, it's it's French fries, 
And I, I think traditional, and, and I don't care if it's traditional or not, it's the best way. Uh, they cook the French fries in duck fat, which is just incredible. Then they have cheese curds and then gravy. So, you know, you got to be a little careful with this dish. The potatoes, that's a lot of carbs. I, I'll eat potatoes, though. I can handle quite a few carbs when I want to have some. Um, so the potatoes mm-hmm. don't really bother me. Gravy's fine. Just don't make it with wheat flour. You know, I can make a great gravy with cassava flour or arrowroot. Um, and the cheese curds, certainly no problem there. So actually, it's not that hard to make a pretty darn good version of poutine. Yeah, I guess not. I never really thought about it. I think I've only had it a couple times, but yeah, actually it was in pretty, Canada. It's pretty yummy. Yeah. And man, when you yeah. when you make it with duck fat, it is really good. Yeah, I bet. Any French well, fries with duck fat, that's the only way to go. Well, how about, how so about good. duck confit? Ooh, yes. I pretty much get that whenever it's on the menu. Absolutely. Wherever. If I'm yes, at a restaurant, yes. that's if, what I'm getting. If it's there, I'm getting it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So duck confit, for people who don't know, duck fat is really, really rich. That's why it tastes so good. It's just really, it's just a really rich fat. So in duck confit, they take a duck thigh and leg and they submerge it in pure duck fat and slow cook it like that it is it it's hard to describe how good it is huh that sounds incredible but yeah i i love good duck on yeah it's the best me too good stuff what else we got about fat there's so much to talk about with fat fat is where it's at oh my gosh there's so much yeah, <laughs> that is where it's at. You know, I, we're not going to be able to cover everything about fat. I'm going to be completely honest with you, but I thought, I thought just mentioning a few roles that fat play on the body because we don't think about fat being important in our diet, especially because we've been trained. It's been hammered into our brains how bad fat is for us. So just you know, let's mention a few things. You know, the roles of fat in the body. Other than the most obvious that we talk about probably the most is that it's a great source of energy. Yes. That's to me, the number one thing. It's an amazing source of energy. You know, we always think of carbs being the source of energy, but fat is a wonderful source of energy. So other than that, yeah, you know, the thing to know there is, you know, if we compare the, there are really four sources of energy for the human body. We just throw two of them away because we shouldn't talk about them at all. But the two we do talk about, glucose and fat. And glucose is sugar, carbohydrates, uh, fat is fat. And, you know, one of the best examples is if, if you were to take... Um, you know, plant matter, which is where we get a lot of our carbohydrates from as well. Um, take plant matter, straw, hay, whatever, um, and and burn it. And watch what happens. It burns fast and you have to keep adding it over and over and over and over. Take a good source of fat and burn it. And it burns long and steady. 
and you don't have to keep adding fat. It, it's twice as energy dense as carbohydrates. So that's really the big difference in those two energy sources that, that we can kind of understand. When you eat fat, and we all say this, when we, when we switch to a high fat diet, we're all shocked at how we don't have to eat all the time. Because you eat fat and fat stays with you and gives you plenty of energy and satisfies your appetite. But when you eat a high carb diet, what do we tell people? You have to eat eight times a day. That's insane. And yeah. here's yeah. the other, the but fire analogy is, is, is good too. Here's another way to think about it. You know, you're sitting around a fire and it's down to the embers. And isn't that when the fire's kind of most comfortable? You know, that's radiating nice, steady, can you know, consistent heat off those embers. Now, if I throw a bunch of new wood on there or sticks and twigs and, you know, all of a sudden it flares up and gets crazy hot. Right. And then within a couple of minutes, it dies down and it's too cold. And I got that's kind of what our diet does when we eat carbohydrates. You know, you you pile in a bunch of carbohydrates and you get a big energy spike and then you get a big crash and you got to do it again. And it's this roller coaster, kind of like your fire is when you keep throwing that stuff on there. But when you burn fat for energy, it's just nice and steady and consistent. Yep, that's absolutely right. I use that analogy a lot. What else we got? We have that fats also regulate the um, energy absorption. So this is this is a good. I think the best way to think about this is when you drink a nutrient dense keto coffee or like a bulletproof coffee. The caffeine you don't get, and this is what I love because some people tell me that you know when they drink their coffee they get the jitters, but if you add fat to the coffee, it helps to spread out the metabolism of that caffeine. So it's giving you a steady kind of energy. It's not like this crazy surge in energy. Good point. It's, it's like a steady, long lasting energy. So where people used to have to drink two or three cups of coffee a morning, if they're now doing a bulletproof coffee and they're adding a good fat in there, like MCT oil or butter or coconut oil, then they seem to only need one. There's so many benefits. They only need one because it lasts for a long period of time and it's super filling. So you really can't go wrong with it. So it just helps you regulate, um, you know, it gives you a more slow absorption of the food that you're eating, which is really nice. Yes. Um, They're also... Fat is also building blocks for our cell membranes. And we don't think about that often because we don't really think about our bodies being a bunch of little tiny cells. But each cell is relying on fats to give them proper structure. And really the balance of that is key. So where like a polyunsaturated fat, you know, if you think back to what we talked about, those are um, more, more liquid, more like softer, more fluid. If we have too many of these, then... You know, we, we have basically a fluid, too fluid of a cell. So we use saturated fats to balance that out, but we can't have too many saturated because then it becomes too rigid. So you need that, that perfect balance. And that's where we always talk about balance in the body. It's 
that, you know, you can't be deficient in something, but you also can't be toxic in something. And the same thing is with fat. So, and we are going to get into um, the, basically the essential fatty acids and the importance in balancing those uh, because I think that's really important. And it's something that we mentioned, but we don't really dive very deep into. So I think it'll be important to kind of cover a little bit of that today. But another thing about fat is that they are the building blocks for our hormones, especially our sex hormones, and especially um, cholesterol, where we were, to- where we're taught, you know, that we have to stay away from dietary cholesterol. Absolutely not. Cholesterol is the building block for our hormones. And we talk about a lot how important our hormones are. And they're, you know, fat is essential for building good, healthy hormones. So you I know, thought, that, 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 was that is really important. And one of the things that, you know, I used to talk about a lot when I was doing a lot more one-on-ones and when we first started on this and, you know, when we would start talking about hormones and I, I would get, this was such a common call, still is a lot of times. So I don't get it as much as I used to. But when we were doing keto and developing NDK, I'd get the call, um, I started keto and it would be a guy. I started keto. I lost a hundred pounds. I feel fantastic. All my joint pain went away. So happy. And then he, then I'd hear from his wife and she'd be like, yeah, none of that happened for me. Um, and they were always so frustrated. <laughs> and, you know, we started trying to figure out why, why are women struggling with this more? Not all women, but it was pretty common. Mm-hmm. The guys just seemed like the weight just fell off. You know, they were all so happy. They, and the women are like, I don't know what the hell uh, I'm eating the same things he's eating and I'm not losing the weight. So we started looking at hormones because weight loss is all about hormones. So we started thinking what's different. Well, a lot. When you start talking about men and women, that's probably the biggest difference we have physiologically is that our hormones are very different. And because we have very different hormones, then we have very different outcomes. So we started thinking, okay, this must be a hormone issue. Women are just more complicated hormonally. So we have to take that into account and maybe women need more plant food. Maybe this whole fat thing isn't right for them, but it turns out we were wrong. Women don't need more plant food than men. Women don't need more carbohydrates than men. In fact, one of the reasons I don't get this much anymore is because we recommend carnivore now more than we do keto. And with carnivore, women seem to do much better. And part of, I I think the biggest part of why women struggle with this more is I still believe it is because women are too fat phobic. I think women are too afraid of fat. And even when they tell you they're eating a high fat diet, they're probably not, not as much as, as the men do. You know, the men just jump right in. They'll chew that big hunk of fat on the edge of their steak. Women think that's, you know, gross. And um, so that, that's, that's been my theory about this for a long time, why women have so much more autoimmune and why women have a harder time losing weight. I just think women are still afraid of fat. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good assumption. I mean, my experience has been, at least with women with gallbladder situations is that they have lived 
quite, I'd say the majority of their life afraid of fat. And because they weren't eating fat, they weren't, their gallbladder wasn't, you know, working properly. So it just isn't working now when they start reintroducing fat. So I have to agree. Absolutely. Yeah, and if, if weight loss is all about hormones, and it is, and we need good fats to build good hormones, uh, when you eat that low-fat diet, your hormones are a wreck. Yeah, absolutely. Then, so, then let's the last, pile on one yeah. more thing for women. What do women take for birth control? Hormones. Let's Hormone. mess with their hormones a little more and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Goodness. We love doing that. I know. I, I know. Uh, I actually worked with someone. I worked with someone this week, very young, and just hormone after hormone after hormone situation going on. The doctor's throwing more hormones. I'm just like, wow, at some point, you just need to let your body breathe and like figure it out on its own (laughs) yeah i can help you with that we can guide you in that direction you know with diet but when it all comes down to it like there's only so much i can do with diet if you're taking all these hormones exactly and not to mention most of them that you're taking are are synthetic hormones your body's not even really recognizing them correctly or able to use them correctly so it's interesting. Yeah. But, you know, what we didn't mention about hormones is that, you know, you mentioned that hormones are critical for, um, for weight, you know, to regulate weight. Well, two hormones that we don't think about, and a lot of people don't even know that they are hormones, are leptin and ghrelin. Oh, yeah. Leptin and ghrelin. That's what tells us when we're hungry and full. So if you don't have proper hormones, then, you know, you're not going to be able to tell whether you're hungry or full properly. And who knows, you might just keep on eating. So. Yeah, I think I, um, you know, and, and you would think that once we knew this, that this hormone makes you feel hungry and this hormone makes you feel satisfied, um, all the pharmaceutical companies went nuts thinking, oh, my God, we'll be able to create the ultimate weight loss drug here. Um, just we need a drug that increases this hormone and decreases. They can't do it. They've tried. They're still trying. They've made all kinds of attempts. They can't even come close to affecting the levels of these two hormones in the body. Um, but what they've done now uh, and I think I mentioned this to you the other day. There's a new pharmaceutical on the market. They say it's not a drug. Um, it's actually called Plenity. Okay. And Plenity, they, they say it's not a drug. Well, wait a minute. I It's a pill. I swallow it, it alters my body, and I have to have a prescription to get it. So what about this isn't a drug? But that's what they claim. Oh, it's not a drug. Yeah. Well, what, is, what is it then? So basically what they say is that it's, I don't even know what's in this thing, but it's basically some sort of building blocks so that when you swallow this stuff with a bunch of water, uh, it swells up and takes up space in your stomach so you don't feel as hungry. 
Oh, whoa, what is it? Yeah, that sounds like a bad idea, doesn't it? Yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. What is it? I'm dying to know what is actually in it. Yeah, let me see. Let's see. Made from, they make this sound good, made from naturally derived building blocks found in fruits, vegetables, cellulose, and citric acid. Uh, but it doesn't tell us specifically what those things are. Um, you take three capsules with water 20 minutes before lunch and dinner. You've got to drink at least 16 ounces of water. Um, and then this thing, this stuff swells up in your stomach so you don't feel so hungry. Wait a minute. So, so 20 minutes before you eat, you need to drink 16 ounces of water. Well, that right in and of itself is going to make you full. Let's be honest. And then it also is diluting your stomach acid. So you're not even able to break down what you are eating. (laughs) It sounds like a disaster. Good. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Um, Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. They won't stop. They will not stop, you know, introducing any kind of quick fix for, for health. So I'm not really surprised, I guess. Yeah. Oh, here's Moving why. Yeah. Real quick. One more thing. Here's why they're calling yeah. it a, oh, actually it, it's considered an FDA cleared medical device. They're not considering it a drug because it doesn't get absorbed into your bloodstream. That's their criteria for not calling it a drug. Uh, so it's called a medical device. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's still going through your digestive system. So exactly. Doing something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else? If you're breaking it down through your. (laughs) All right. I can't. I I know. (laughs) That doesn't even make sense. I know. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, one of the other really important things to mention about the roles of fat in the body are that they're critical for the absorption of our fat-soluble vitamins. Most notably, the one we talk about most, especially after COVID, now the whole world is aware of vitamin D. Vitamin D, vitamin A, E, and K are all fat-soluble, meaning that we need fats in order to break those down and absorb them properly and utilize them properly. And I thought one interesting thing to note as well is that bile acids and bile salts are made from cholesterol, okay? So this is like where these there's like this, you know, it, everything comes full circle when it comes to certain things in the body and the functions of the body. But basically what that means is cholesterol is important in order to make bile acids and bile salts to break down fat so that you can make even more. So I thought that was really interesting to mention. But yeah. the most important takeaway from this is fat-soluble vitamins are critical. Vitamins A, D, E, and K. And they're only absorbable when you, when they come with fat. You need fat to absorb them. Which is really important. And nobody ever talks about that. And we have no, loads of vitamins on the market that people are spending an awful lot of money on. And if they take that vitamins A, D, E, and K with water away from a meal, 
they're wasting all of the vitamin A, D, E, and K because none of it gets absorbed. I'm so happy you mentioned that, Kevin. You're absolutely right. And that's one of those things that I'm constantly reminding people to take their supplements with food. I mean, there are some that you want to take on an empty stomach, like uh, probiotic is, is better on an empty stomach. But when it comes to something that you would be getting naturally with food, like those vitamins that are fat soluble, you have to take them with, with a fatty meal or you're completely wasting it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really happy you mentioned that. Yes. When indeed. you take your vitamin D, when you take your vitamin D, are you, are you doing it in your coffee? Yes. So there, I know I'm absorbing my vitamin D. There's plenty of fat available. We're using the drops that are already emulsified in fat. And then we're putting it in yep. fatty coffee with a bunch more fat. I'm positive I'm absorbing mine. Yeah, that's my favorite way to take them as well. I think that's, that's the number one way I recommend them to be taken, actually. I always wonder about vitamin D supplements that are in powdered form. This doesn't seem right to me. Well, no, if, if like I but said, I if, if somebody just, you know, has, you know, coffee in the morning and they take their supplements then or later in the day, they just take them at a certain time with water. If, if you have vitamins A, D, E and K and it's a capsule and you take it with water, you are not absorbing them. They have to there yeah. has to be fat present at the time they're being digested to be absorbed. Absolutely. Good point. I'm happy you mentioned that. What else we got? So sh well, let's just mention a few of the healthy versus unhealthy fats. I know we kind of went over some that were good for cooking, but let's just mention, you know, that basically healthy fats are the ones that require simple equipment to extract them. So they don't require any additional processing to make them edible. So we mentioned earlier that some of the unhealthy fats um, need a ton of like sophisticated industrial equipment. They need chemical solvents. And then they also need to like deodorizers to make them edible because they're so rancid. Yeah, well, so some yeah. of the healthy. Let, <laughs> let's, let's think about something. I just had an interesting idea here. I, I'm going to hand, yeah. we were told for decades that corn oil was really good for us, right? Still are. I mean, I still see yeah. commercials where they, they are talking about how healthy corn oil is. So let's think about this. I'm going to hand you an ear of corn and I'm going to hand you a half a pound of bacon. I want you to get the fat out of each one. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. Just try to get corn oil out of that corn on the cob. Just see if you can figure it out. But how hard is it to get fat out of bacon? The tiniest bit of heat. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it outside in yeah. today's weather and you'll get it. Yeah. You probably, yes, you're right. You probably cook your bacon in a mailbox in most parts of the country this week. Yeah. So, since you mentioned that, lard is definitely one of the healthier ones. So is coconut oil, so is olive oil. 
so is butter. Things that are obvious that our ancestors would have eaten because they could extract oil from those things. Not things like you mentioned, corn oil, soybeans, canola, cotton seeds. They are polyunsaturated oils. They're highly unstable. They are, you know, they're already in the processing. They're already, you know, exposed to heat. They're already exposed to chemicals. They're exposed to all of it. And then they throw them in a plastic bottle and throw them on a shelf under fluorescent light and <laughs> plastic bottles. Yeah. So yeah. they're already, I mean, just say no. Just say no to them. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. So let's talk a little bit of essential fatty acids because I know that we mentioned how important they are. And everyone does hear us talk more about omega-3s and omega-6s. And, you know, I have to say that omega-6s have been, you know, we look at them a little differently than we probably should. But it's because they've gotten a bad rap because of how much we're exposed to in our modern diet as opposed to our ancestors. Our ancestors were getting a ratio of omega-6s to 3s at a 1 to 1 ratio. 1 to 1. Now the current act, 1 to 1. That is, you know, so basically... Yeah, so let, let's just clarify this a little bit. So, again, if we go back yeah. to the hunter-gatherer, you know, the people who are watching on a loan, they're eating some plants when they can find them and process them. They're eating mostly animals. Their ratio on that diet, and this holds true almost anywhere you were in the world, no matter what your food sources yeah. were, it almost always worked out. There were some exceptions, but for the most part, it worked out to where you had a one-to-one -one ratio. And what is it today? Yeah. It is 16 to one. And, and I've heard as much as 25 to one. I definitely know that that's being modest. It's kind of in the middle because it's gone anywhere from 10 to like 20. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So completely different. And, you know, we talk about balance. We're constantly going back to this balance and how critical it is in the body. So here we are demonizing, you know, omega-6s, but it's because of the balance, the improper balance that we have going on right now. But omega-6s are not bad. It's just we're getting entirely too many of them in our diet compared to the omega-3s. Yeah, so, and... Omega-6s. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I think you're about to say what I was going to say, so go ahead. Well, I'm just saying that omega-6s are, they're, they're, they're dangerous in terms of the inflammatory response that our body has to them. So, but you know, they're highly but inflammatory. Let, let's not forget, that's actually why we need the omega-6 Yes. For the inflammatory exactly. action. Right. We want that action. We just want the balance so that after the inflammatory action fixes the damage, we go back to being uninflamed. That's our that's where things go wrong. Yes, because the body needs the ability to inflame in order to create a healing process. It's, it's like the initial trigger of a healing process actually is that inflammation. So you need that inflammation 
but you also need the ability to, to bring that inflammation down and to get rid of it. So when we, when we cause inflammation, cholesterol and white blood cells are getting flushed to that area. Cholesterol and white blood cells are healing, which is why cholesterol has gotten such a bad name, by the way, because it's found at the scene of the crime in the arteries when there is damage already done to the artery. And people have blamed cholesterol for years because they thought, oh, since it's here, it must be causing the problem. No, it's because it's actually going to, to fix the problem is what it's designed to do. So, but yes, you're right. Uh, inflammation is critical to healing and it brings cholesterol and white blood cells to the area. And then it is important for our anti-inflammatories to kick in to bring that inflammation down once that healing is, has, you know, has gone underway and whatnot. So you're absolutely right. I'm happy you mentioned that. Yeah. So good, good some stuff. dangers. Yeah. And some dangers of, a diet that's high in omega-6s over omega-3s, we see it all the time. Cardiovascular disease, inflammatory disorders, in, you know, autoimmune diseases, even cancer. So making sure that that ratio is closer to our ancestors at a one-to-one means that we have to stay away from these toxic, rancid omega-6 you know, oils. And, and, and it's really hard to do that. <laughs> it, it is. And let me tell people the worst source of these. And it's virtually impossible to avoid unless you just avoid restaurant food. All yep. restaurants, it, with very, very few exceptions, unless they specifically say they are strict paleo, which is... It, try to find a restaurant like that we have a couple in portland but that's because it's portland um i've traveled all over the country you, you just don't find these places the best restaurants even the places that are saying you know they have have you know grass-fed grass-finished meats they still all use horrible oils in the kitchen yeah it's true it is absolutely true and it's, I mean, these oils are in everything. So you go out at a restaurant, they're cooked, they're definitely cooking with the oils. Then you, you get something that you think is a little safer, like a salad, so that you're staying away from them. But the salad dressing is full of these oils. You yeah. know, it's, you just, it's really hard to get away. Even when I, when I go to a restaurant and there's olive oil at the table or any kind of oil, really, I have a feeling that it's usually cut with these very <laughs> inexpensive industrial seed oils. Yeah. I have a very hard time trusting that that is uh, you're true right. 100% you're, olive oil. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't, don't believe it. I don't believe them either. I don't trust them. So the only way to solve this problem is to minimize your eating out at restaurants. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And not eating um, conventionally raised animals. Grain-fed cows have lower omega-3 to 6 ratios than grass-fed and finished cattle. Yep. That is a fact. So yeah. you might think that you're doing so well, but if you're still eating dirty keto, then there's still some cleaning up that needs to be done. You know, I have a theory. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure this is right. So I am almost positive I can taste omega-3. 
Really? Well, let's think about it. Um, which okay. fish are highest in omega-3? I mean, usually the fishiest tasting ones. Exactly, like right? Salmon is actually a fishier, yeah, salmon and um, sardines and right. mackerel and now, stuff like that. And, and when we start eating grass-fed, grass-finished animals, one of the complaints people have is when they taste gamey. I have a theory that, that those strong flavors, the fishy, gamey flavors, we're actually tasting the omega-3. That's interesting. I can... I, that is a- very interesting theory. I love that. I believe I can taste it in Kerrygold butter, but there are some other grass-fed butters where I don't taste it. Mm. Yeah, Kerrygold has a... Oh! It's like a here, bolder flavor, I feel. Here was another... This I think this is when I kind of had the epiphany and thought about this. Have you ever heard of the nuts Sasha Inchi? I think is how you pronounce it. It sounds familiar, but I don't, I, such, I can't say that such, I know. Such, I have some in my pants. Such, how do you pronounce that? Such, uh, or how do you spell it? Inch, I think. Yeah, Sacha Inchi. It's a nut. So I ordered some of these because they are crazy high in omega-3. Um Really, really high in omega-3. Now, there is a problem. We don't absorb omega-3 from plants very well. But I thought I'd try them just because it's a nut. It's got fat. It's got tons of omega-3. I opened it up. I ate one. Guess what they taste like? Fish. Fish? Yes. They taste (laughs) like fish. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? And I like strong tasting fish. I love salmon. I love gamey meats that those flavors don't bother me, but I can't eat these nuts. That just doesn't work for me. Whoa. Yeah. I can't eat them. That is wild. That is so funny. So yeah, I could see, I could see your theory why it makes sense to you because you are actually tasting like that um, fishiness and things. Yeah, in a nut. Omega three. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, in a nut. <laughs> wow, I've never heard any. I've never heard that theory, but I'm happy you shared it. Experiment Very with cool. it. See what everybody else. Yeah, thinks. I'm actually curious about these about these uh, these nuts specifically. I don't know if I would like them though, because if you don't like them and you They're- like the taste. They're absolutely so fishy. fishy. Fish. Yeah, they're fishy. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And where do they grow? You, or where do they harvest uh, these from? I don't, uh, Colombia, I think, is. So South America, okay. I think, is a yeah where most of them come from. Oh, Got my it. God, this is funny. I, I was looking it up because I wanted to make sure I was spelling it right. Uh, and as I'm scrolling through the headlines, here's one of the headlines. Sacha Inchi is supposedly the next superfood, but something's fishy. That's the title. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. You're not the only one, nope. apparently. No, nope, obviously not. Well, I think we covered a good amount. Um, I would like to go over some dietary guidelines. Yes. I mean, like I said, 
everyone's different. You know, we all know everyone's different. Everyone can handle different things. So you have to listen to your own body and how it feels when you eat certain things. But I thought it was interesting. I came across, um, actually from the N- the NTA, a dietary guideline kind of rule of thumb is that 60% of our fats should be monounsaturated, omega-9, like you mentioned. Those come in the form of extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, and almond oil. 30% should be saturated, coconut oil, eggs, butter, raw dairy, animal fat. And polyunsaturated should be as low as 10%. Those are the omega-3s and 6s. The thing is, I don't think that enough people are getting um, enough omega-3, so I would kind of lean more towards recommending more of the fish oils and the sesame oils and stuff like that. Um, mostly the fish oils, like the krill oils, those really good uh, fishy fish that we were talking about, things that are higher in omega-3s to balance it out better. Because like we said, it's really hard to stay away from omega-6s. So it can't hurt to try to get a little more omega-3s. Unless you know for sure you're staying completely away um, aside from, you know, the nuts that you're eating and, you know, certain seeds and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I thought it, that was interesting that they... Yeah, we, we should make that point clear that, you know, I said... If you want to avoid omega-6 in industrial seed oils, you have to stay away from restaurants. Um, but you also do need to watch out if you're trying to get a balance and you're not eating a lot of seafood, then you should watch your nut and seed consumption. Yes, that's a very good point. Yes, because the seafood, good healthy fats in the seafood can balance out the unhealthier fats in the, the, the nuts and seeds. And I know a lot of people who are definitely eating entirely too many nuts and seeds. It's easy to because do. Because they think it's a superfood, which yeah. it's very easy to do. Actually, it happens in our house. Yeah, Not it, by me, but... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're convenient, they're tasty, they're satisfying. It's, it's really easy to overdo nuts. And, you know, for drivers, it's easy because it's one of those foods that it's easy to grab a bag of nuts when you get in the seat, and then you end up eating the whole bag. Yeah, you're right. So that, I, I'm happy that you, that you mentioned that because that is a very good point. You know, you eating good, healthy seafood that's high in good, healthy fats is it really should be part of everyone's diet. I know it can be a little more expensive and, you know, kind of a little more difficult to find good sources of it, but it's definitely worth going out there and doing it. You know, here here is one of my favorite lunches anymore and it's so quick and easy and it's so easy to do in the truck and even if you don't like the taste of those you know fishy fish like we talk about you're either you know you should be using sardines mackerel salmon tuna i mean one of those those are all strong tasting fish people don't like them but i can tell you this it it's actually like, here's the thing that I, I've always found was so interesting. People don't like seafood. They don't like fishy tasting stuff. And yet, why is tuna in a can so popular? That's a very good question. 
but it is. A lot of people like tuna in a can. Well, salmon in a can is really good. Sardines out of a can. That's the beauty of this. Some of the best, easiest, healthiest seafood to eat actually comes in a can and it's completely shelf stable. And if you don't like the taste, cover it up. It's not hard. So, you know, that's what we do with tuna. Yeah, one of my favorite lunches. I will open up any of those cans that we sell in our store, whether it's the mackerel and we have the new Patagonia. Have you tried some of these yet? We've talked about this, haven't we? Yes. Yeah, we have, and they're very good. <laughs> they are incredible. I, you know, I was so I was so bummed out when we lost, you know, our seafood vendor because they got bought. But I'm happy now. Uh, this is one of those things that works out better because Patagonia, it's the same quality. It's the best quality fish you can get. But they did flavors like the lemon and the garlic and the um, boy, they they've just got really good they if you're if you want a little milder tasting get their white anchovies not quite as strong as the mackerel but here's here's a quick easy lunch that i love open up a can of that dump it into a bowl oil and all whether it's mackerel sardines salmon whatever it might be the white anchovies and then I like hot stuff so i'll throw in a little hot sauce but i'll just dump in some kimchi right in to the bowl with the fish and I'll just take a fork and mash it mm. all together and then just get some of the um, almond flour crackers and just eat it like a dip. It is so good and it's so easy. Yeah, I've never thought of mixing those two. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, now you're getting, you know, all of your good fats in the seafood and you're getting your good probiotics from the, the kimchi and, the, and the, 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 you know, find a kimchi that you really like the flavor of. And when you put that in there, the seafood almost disappears. Awesome. Love that. Another one. Maybe you've tried this. The first time I did this, this is an Italian thing. I was blown away by how good it is. Anytime you're making anything with a tomato sauce, mm-hmm. throw in some anchovies. And I know people, if you think they're weird about sardines, people really freak out about anchovies. But take some anchovies and just throw them in the sauce when you're heating the sauce and they will melt completely. They just completely disappear. But it adds so much depth. Um, have you ever had putinesca? I bet. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely. one of my favorites. Delicious. That's got anchovies in it. And no, it's funny that you mentioned this. Go ahead. Have you ever made a real Caesar salad the traditional way? Yes. Only in culinary school. I don't make it now, but. Yeah. But it's kind of fun to do it once. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. What makes a really, really anchovies good <laughs> yeah, Caesar salad dressing is anchovies. Agreed. You can't, it, it's not a Caesar salad without it, in my opinion. I agree. It needs that pungent yeah. Yeah. flavor. I agree. You know, I, I thought it was funny that you mentioned the tomato sauce and adding anchovies because this week... I made a tomato-based sauce, and I was making shrimp in it. So 
I actually put the the shells or the tails of the shrimp in it and cooked it down. Oh yeah, for a while. So yeah, that the all the you know the flavors of the shell, basically the tail shell was in it. And then I remembered that I had accidentally grabbed the wrong flavored bone broth because I freeze my bone broth, and when it was crawfish season, we just came off of it actually. Um, I went to a restaurant and I ordered a bunch of crawfish and I asked them to give me a to-go thing to bring the shell home. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> but I go home and there's so much left in the crawfish that you don't eat because really you're, the only, you're only eating the tiniest little morsel of a tail. It's like kind of a joke. So well, Wait a minute. I wait, wait, out, wait, wait. Don't you yeah. suck the head? I do, but okay. you're barely getting enough out of the head. I know. You do, you're <laughs> I right. Do. You don't I get do. much. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> you don't. You're, most, you're mostly getting like an essence of the head. You're barely uh, getting anything. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you're right. I do. Um, so I bring that home and I put it and I basically make a, a, a bone broth. What? I do it the same way I make bone broth. And I, I put the, all the shells in there and I cook it down and you can get it to be very gelatinous if you want it to. And then I freeze it in one cup increments in the freezer. And I had pulled one out because Ryan was feeling under the weather. So I was like, okay, I'll pull one out. He can have it. And I smelled it right before I gave it to him. Like, I think I, I heated up the, the crawfish shell broth. And it's just not quite the same if you're not feeling all that great than yeah. having like chicken broth or like venison broth. <laughs> right. so, so I put it back in the fridge and I, you know, I was like, okay, I'll figure out something to do with this later. And it was perfect. I remembered at the last minute. So I got that tomato sauce really thick with the shrimp tail. And then I pulled, I Ooh. heated up that one cup. Oh, so good. I oh, heated up that yeah. one cup of the, of that broth. And I, to clean, I, I needed to like clean off the, the, the tails. So I put them in the broth and like got them all cleaned off, discarded those and poured the remainder of the broth in the tomato sauce and thickened it up again. And it was incredible. It was so, so good. Nice. And it reminded me when you said the, anchovies and tomato sauce. Yeah. You know, they, <laughs> I, that just reminded me of something. Um, the best lobster bisque I have ever made in my life. I took all the lobster shells and boiled them to make a broth. Oh, it's the best. People yeah. throw away all the important I know. parts of the and, of seafood you know, instead it, of using it all. When, when you were just describing that and you said it's kind of like bone broth. No, it is bone broth. Yeah, well, that, it is. That, that's just, they just have their bones on the outside instead of the inside. You're, you're making bone broth yep. when you make this, yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my little trick to, you know, I, I do like a tomato sauce shrimp dish, and this time I added that, and it was it was just next level. You're right. It adds so much depth when you can give it that extra yeah. something. So, like an anchovy, like, I just, it was so good. So I thought I'd share that. Yeah, that that depth, that flavor, um, we now describe as umami. Yes, you're right. Yeah, that's that umami, that kind of deep, 
you can get umami from mushrooms. You can get umami from, you know, some of that really strong tasting seafood, but it's that, that kind of flavor you can't really describe. You know, it's not sweet. It's not salty. It's not sour. It's, we kind of call it savory, but that doesn't really do it. It's the Japanese call it yeah. umami. Yeah, it's like all encompassing. It just yeah. tastes almost a little bit of like that savory sweet, but there's something so much more to it that you can't even put a word to. Yeah. Other than umami. Umami. There you go. Somebody put a word to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> right. So anything else we need to cover? I'm looking at the clock and I think what we're going to do is we're going to do the live Q&A at 11. I need to get down in the biohacking lab and get some things set up down there. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I think we pretty much covered it all. As a quick recap, I'll just mention that, you know, fats in the diet are critical for the health of our cell membranes the structure of them, the communication between them. It helps to transport cholesterol for, you know, cellular repair and things like that. Maintains brain and mental health, eye health, uh, skin and hair, maintains body temperature, helps the, cell, the cellular signaling and repair. It's important for our hormones, especially our sex hormones. Maintains a healthy gut. It regulates our blood sugar. It helps, um, store energy, and it's critical for the absorption of our fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. But that pretty much wraps it up for, for no. fat today. No, there's one more. There's one more. Yeah. It tastes amazing. Uh -oh. Yes. <laughs> That's the, my favorite right. part it about fat. Taste fat tastes good. Food with fat in it tastes <laughs> good. Yeah. Yes. You're very right. It does. And it helps to satiate you. Yes. So you don't have to eat so much of others, so much of the other stuff when you incorporate good, healthy fats. Absolutely. Good point. All right. Great stuff today. Definitely. All right. So and eventually we'll do one because we've done proteins and now we've done fats. Eventually we'll compile information and do one on carbohydrates because I yeah. think it deserves its own it, it does. It does. There's no doubt. Carbohydrates are still useful in our diet. Um, we just we just need to manage them properly. So it, it's a good topic, though, because people are confused about carbohydrates. They're not, you know, the enemy. We don't have to think about them that way. There are different types of carbohydrates and people get really confused about that between simple and complex and we'll 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 tell you the real skinny on it and tell you exactly um you know what what carbohydrates are all about they're not uh they're not poison we can have carbohydrates we just need to understand how exactly yeah so i think that that'll make for a good show soon yes I like that. All right. So uh, we will wrap this up and then we will see you in uh, 
uh, it's going to be about 20 minutes here. Uh, at the top of the hour, 11 o'clock Pacific time. I guess that would be, what, two on the East Coast. And uh, really informal. I'm going to be live on the video. I haven't prepared a lot for this. So we're just going to kind of do it on the fly. I'm just going to go down and get a couple things set up. But I'm going to walk through uh, some new stuff on the uh, saunas and the infrared and the red light therapy. I'll go through where I am on that. Uh, And then I'm going to walk through the protocol. I'm going to go through, now I have the X3 bar. I have three different workouts now. So I'm going to explain why I have three. I'm going to go through each workout. Now, here's the thing. Here's the cool thing about splitting this out to three days. Um, I added one new exercise uh, for myself, I'm going to add a couple n- new ones. I, and so I'll give an update on that later when I figure out what they are. Because the original X3 bar workout was four movements on day one and four other movements on day two. Where I am right now is actually three movements on push. No, I actually, I added one. So I do have four on that. So we're back to four on that. I'll show what they are. On pull, I'm down to three. I need to find a new pull exercise because I want to do four movements a day. And then on the third workout, which is new, there used to just be two workouts. Now there's three. Um, it's, it's basically legs and core. And I've got four movements on that day. So I'm going to show each one today kind of go through, you know, the right form and which muscles we're hitting and and why we're doing this in three days now. Love it. I'm excited because I just got one. You did. How cool. Yes, I did. How cool. I know it arrived today, so I'm unboxing it. All right. Get that thing out and get ready so you can uh, just try it along with me. I'm going to get ripped. Excellent. All right. (laughs) All right. We will talk to you in 20 minutes. Meet us at healthytribe.com. We'll see you then. All right. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.